While you're being seated, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to be there here in just a couple of moments. I'll tell you, as we, as we get started today, this is our last Sunday in the Experiencing God study. And you're about to enter into the last week of your study um, as you work through your, your daily uh, devotions, working through the Experiencing God study. And I hope that this has been as um, as impactful for you as it has been for me. And I'll tell you in a few moments just to the, some of the ways in which I've, I've heard from some of you and, and how you have been impacted by this study. All summer, there's seven realities of, of experiencing God that we've been diving into. And these are statements that, um, that kind of drive what we've talked about. And I'm going to put them on the screen. I'm going to read them for you. Um, number one is God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. Number two, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. He pursues it, a continuing love relationship. Number three, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. Number five, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in where he's working, in what he's doing. Number seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. Now what we're going to do today is is kind of talk a little bit about really this big idea of God is always at work around you, that he's inviting you to join him in his work. But one of the things we're going to see in Mark chapter 8 is that uh, the disciples didn't see always where God was working and what Jesus was doing around them. That's what we're going to talk about here in just a moment. I'm going to share some thoughts with you here for a few moments, and then we're actually going to close out the sermon part of today with a video from Richard Blackaby as he's teaching about this this topic, and he's going to wrap up this series for us. Mark chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 21 together, okay? So read along with me as as I read. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Let's pause there for a second, okay? Here's the need. It's a great need. These people have been listening to Jesus teach for three days, and they are hungry. They've come to this desolate place. They don't have food anymore. Whatever they brought with them is completely gone. And what does Jesus do? It says there he has compassion on them. He looked around, he saw the need, and he had compassion on the people. Jesus has compassion on the lost around us and on those with needs around us today. His compassion is no less today than it was in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus is teaching for three days. His compassion is still just as strong today as it was then. So what does he do? He finds a way to provide, starting in verse 4. No, starting in verse 5. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves of bread? They said, seven. 
And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given, given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. Thousands of people ate and were satisfied. Can I just jump in right there to tell you that Jesus satisfies He not only sees the need and has compassion for the need, but Jesus satisfies. Continuing on as we we read. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went into the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and he had only one loaf, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of uh, pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to understand your word today? And Father, I pray that we take what we, what we learn here and then, Father, we apply it to life. And that, that, Lord, you will have free reign to work in our lives in any way you see fit. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for leaving your word for us so that we can glean and grow. And Lord, that you will change our lives as a result of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, beginning of chapter 8, where we started here, Jesus, we talked about how he has compassion on the crowd. They don't have anything to eat. And so he provides food for them to eat. In fact, he provides so much food that they have leftovers in the same amount that they had when they, when they started. So they are provided for just like that. We then work through the whole rest of the, of, the, of the part of the chapter there that we've been reading. And what we find is that Jesus gets really frustrated with, with his disciples when they start bickering and complaining over the lack of food. Uh, verse 18, here's the words that he uses. He says, having eyes, do you not see? Having eyes, do you not see? Now, there's times in Jesus' ministry in which he healed blind people. In fact, if you continue reading Mark chapter 8 here, the very next thing that Jesus does is he goes into a town, he finds a blind person, and he heals the blindness. This man can see. Now, as far as we know, the disciples, though, didn't have any problem with their physical eyes. Their eyes are just fine. Their physical eyes, that is. Here's the next statement he says. Having ears, do you not hear? There's other times in which Jesus heals deaf people. In fact, if you go back to Mark chapter 7, in Mark chapter 7, you find Jesus healing a deaf and mute man. 
So he has the ability to do that. But, but the disciples don't need healing when it comes to their physical ears. As far as we know, those ears are just fine and they can hear just fine. The problem is they're missing some really, really important stuff. He continues on with the next statement. Do you not remember? Do you not remember? Now, each one of these disciples that Jesus is speaking to are, are fairly young men. They wouldn't have had the, the difficulty, the hearing difficulty or the re, memory difficulty that maybe someone of older um, age would have had. So he's not talking about their, their physical memory. Here's the next statement he says, do you not yet understand? That's in verse 21. Do you not yet understand? And here's where we start to see Jesus' frustration and the reason for Jesus' frustration you see, Jesus' frustration wasn't for anything physical when it comes to his disciples. Jesus' frustration comes from their lack of spiritual understanding. Their eyes, their ears, their minds are closed to what Jesus is truly doing. And I wonder how often is Jesus working around us and because we're more concerned with a myriad of other things, like what we're going to put in our belly when we leave this place today. We're so concerned with those other things that we completely miss what Jesus is trying to show us and what he's doing right beside us. You see, that's these disciples. They're concerned about food. They concern, they're concerned because they only have one loaf of bread and there's 13 of them there that we know of. If you look at the language of the Greek here, you're gonna see that it's not just a quick comment. It's not just a, what are we gonna eat? Or I'm concerned about what we're gonna eat. It is an incessant complaining where they are so concerned with the temporary that they completely miss that the one who just provided for thousands of people with food is right there in their presence. They completely miss that. And even though Jesus had shown that as a son of God, he had that power to do something about their need, their eyes and their ears and their minds are still closed. I think for these disciples, a little bit of faith would have gone a really, really long way. But instead of great faith, here's what they've done. They have grieved the heart of Jesus with their lack of spiritual understanding about what he's doing around them and what he's there for. They've grieved Jesus. Look at the language there. Go back to, go back to chapter 8, starting in verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. The seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. He said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? It's like you can feel the, and hear the frustration that's coming through in Jesus. Do you not know who I am? Why I'm here? Do you not know and see what I'm doing around you right now? Now, it's easy for us to look at these disciples and say, what in the world is wrong with you? Did you not just see what Jesus did? But how many times do we do the very same thing? We get so caught up in the temporary and what we're going to put in our bellies we completely miss the spiritual understanding. All along, Jesus is working all around us. And you know, sometimes we see him work and we think, oh, that's just a rare, 
or unusual occurrence. It's not going to happen again anytime soon. But the reality is that is not how God operates. He is always working around us. Here's some of the ways we see God working. Number one, in our family. I hope you're filling in as we go through the handout. You can see this. You can put the word family down there in the first blank at the bottom. You know, is there any other place that is more important to watch for God to be working than in our own family? So in our spouse, in our children, in our grandchildren. Um, when, when Colton accepted, he's our oldest, he's, he's going to be nine years old this next week. Um, when he accepted Jesus as a Savior a couple of years ago, he did so one evening right before bed. And bedtime in our family is, um, is chaos. It's cleaning up toys, it's putting on pajamas, it's brushing teeth, it's reading, praying, singing, and then hopefully the kids are going to lay down and go to sleep. It doesn't always happen that way, but that's what, we, that's what we hope for. Well, this one particular night wasn't any different when it came to the craziness of getting ready for bed, but there was a really, really big difference this night. You see, when I had to talk to Colton about something um, that he had done that wasn't right, I sensed that the Holy Spirit was at work in him, and we had a gospel conversation in which he came to know Jesus in a personal way. Now, here's the deal. Hillary and I had been seeing for some time that God was at work in Colton and that the Holy Spirit was drawing Colton to the Father. We knew that to be true. We knew that there was something stirring when it came to Colton's spiritual being. So that night, we're not surprised at all to find that God was at work. So we adapted our bedtime schedule to have that spiritual conversation with Colton, and it led to him surrendering his life to Jesus. Our families are to be our primary discipleship focus. They take first place. Now, I love counseling, and I love ministering, and I love discipling through the ministry of our local church, but my family is the number one discipleship focus that I have. And that's a, that applies to all of us. And it doesn't matter if you have very little family or very large family. Your family is where God is working. And that is to be your primary discipleship focus. I think about um, our spouses. When you were married, you became one flesh. That means in the eyes of God, you went from being two individual separate people to one flesh. That means that when God is working in your spouse, he's also working in you because he's doing these things together. And man, what an opportunity to champion our spouse when God is working and when he is showing himself to us. Because it's us together in this Christian marital union where God is at work and through, in and through us. So family, first of all, we see God working in our, in our family. Number two, workplace. Think about the workplace. God is at work where you go to work every day. God is at work where you go to work every day. A lot of people go to work to make a living. But that place that you go to make a living is where God wants to change lives and you know what? You might be limited in what you can do and what you can say because of all these policies that say you can't be spiritual, you can't talk about religion, you can't do any of this stuff. But listen, um, you can pray that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind to understand and comprehend where God is working around you. Then there's the community. There's the community. God's plan is the redemption of the lost in our community. 
God sent his son Jesus to die for everyone in our communities. And he is working to redeem those lost people through Christians as they're sent out into communities. Now, all Christians have a community of some kind, and sometimes those, those communities could be school. It could be your doctor's office waiting room. It could be your homeschool co-op. It could be the people you work out with. It could be your neighbors. It could be anybody. But God is at work in the community around you, and he wants to use us in those communities. There's church. Church is where God is at work, and I believe that God is at work in our church. I can't tell you how encouraging it was this past week when a couple came to see me and told me about the, how the Spirit of God had moved in their small group and, and burdened them to take action in a couple of very specific ways. The week before that, somebody came to see me to tell me about how God is directing them to be involved in a ministry that he had laid on their hearts and they were obeying him in that. In the last couple of weeks, church members have come to tell me that they're witnessing to lost friends and family members, that they're being led to give of their time and resources in ways that they hadn't before, that they had built relationships with people inside the church that they had never met before, that the worship services are more of a blessing right now to them than they had been in a long, long time. All of this and so much more is just a little bit, a snapshot of how God is working in lives in our church. God is at work in our church, and he's inviting us to join him in his working in our church. So I would encourage you that if you're not involved in some way, get involved in a way that you never have before. At the very least, you can invite friends who are not a part of a church to join you. Hey, would you come to church with me this week? That's a simple, simple way that you can be involved in the ministry of this church. You know what? You may not be happy with everything about this church. I can find very, very few people who are happy with every part of church. But I can tell you one thing, and that is that God is at work here. And if you have chosen to align yourself as a member of this church, I hope that you are a voice of unity and of bold faith in what our great God can do. I would challenge you to ask God to give you avenues of service avenues of ministry through the ministries of Salem Baptist Church. And when those come, don't hesitate. Jump right in there and serve God and serve our church. The disciples, when they're with Jesus, saw all that God was doing around them. Saw the miracles, saw the healing, saw the teaching. They heard these words of life that are coming from Jesus but yet they chose to bicker over the little things and not focus on what Jesus is doing around them. God is always, always at work around us, and he's inviting us to join him in that work. So let's go back to the idea of seeing here for just a moment. Um, years ago, there was a book entitled An Anthropologist on Mars. It was written by a neurologist by the name of Oliver Sacks, and, and he tells about Virgil. Uh, Virgil was a man who had been blind from early childhood, and, and when he was 50 years old, Virgil underwent surgery and was given the gift of sight. So where he had not been able to see for so many years, all of a sudden he could see. But as he and Dr. Sachs found out, having the physical capacity for sight is not the same as seeing. Because here's what happened. Virgil's first experiences with sight were confusing. He was able to make out some colors and some movements, but arranging them into a coherent picture was more difficult. Over time, he, he learned to identify various objects, but his habits, his behaviors, all of those were still of a blind man. 
He still walked as a blind man. He still talked as if he was a blind man. Dr. Sachs made the comment in this book. He says, one must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. In the interim, in the middle, the limbo, that is so terrible. You know, I feel like a lot of Christians are in that position of seeing, excuse me, being blind and then going to see, but then, but then trying to stick around in the limbo of, I know God, you're at work, but I'm okay to live my life the way I want to right now. Not necessarily joining you where you're working. But to truly see Jesus and his truth and where he's working means more than observing what he did or listening to what he said. It means a true change of identity. It means going from being blind to having complete sight. The disciples struggled to see what God was actually doing and where he's working. But there came a point later, and I love this because we see this transformation take place in the disciples. They were, they were somewhat blind. They didn't really understand what Jesus was about, what he was doing. But later on, they would clearly see where God was working and their part in it. And they went in with everything inside of them, even giving their very lives for the sake of the gospel. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we would see with clarity where God is working and join him there. This morning, I want to end this, um, this sermon time by asking you to direct your attention to the screen. And, and as I'm wrapping up this teaching on experiencing God, Richard Blackaby once told a story that I want you to hear. And um, I hope that it's going to be challenging, but also as encouraging to you as it was to me. I was speaking in a church several years ago, and I, on a Sunday night, I made the comment. I said, God is at work where you go to work every day. Have you recognized, have you asked God to open your spiritual eyes so that you see what God is doing where you're at work every day? Well, there was a man in the congregation that night who had been in his company for 12 years. And uh, I, I discovered later that he was, uh, he sort of skeptically said to himself, well, that preacher's never been where I work. Because I've been there for 12 years and I've never even met another Christian. Uh, that's one of the most profane, carnal, blasphemous places you'd ever want to go to in a workplace. And uh, he just, he kind of uh, shrugged that off. And yet, as he was going home, he just felt very convicted. He'd been there 12 years, never seen in 12 years God do anything. And so trying to dutifully do what the preacher had said to do, as I was there for a revival meeting through uh, Wednesday night, he thought, well, the pastor may ask us tonight or Monday night if we looked for what God was doing, so I guess I better try. So he prayed and said, God, if you're at work where, I'm, where I work, would you make it obvious to me? And so he went to work. And that morning, he was actually a little bit jittery. Every time the phone would ring or someone would stick their head into his office, he would 
start as if, oh, maybe this is God. But of course, uh, it was always ordinary business. At lunchtime, he went to the lunchroom, saw the friends he normally had lunch with every day, went, made his way over to join them. And as they began to talk about what the sports teams had done on the weekend and so on, he couldn't help but noticing a man sitting by himself a few tables over. Normally, he never ate with that man, didn't know the man very well. But this day, something moved in his spirit to say, if you've been here 12 years and you haven't seen what I've been up to, maybe try sitting somewhere else. Try getting around somebody else besides the same old friends day after day. And so he packed up his lunch. He went over to this man and said, do you mind if I join you? And uh, this was a fairly introverted, shy person. This was out of his comfort zone to just kind of suggest sitting with someone he normally didn't eat lunch with. But the man grunted, fine, and he sat down. And this, this Christian got all the courage up he could and finally asked him, so how are things going with you? Well, he wasn't ready for the response. This man almost seemed to open a floodgate and began to share how his whole life had been deteriorating. This man's marriage was falling apart. And day after day, he would get home and enter into shouting matches with his wife. And finally that morning, things had reached a climax. And as he was about to leave the house that day to go to work, he had turned back to his wife and just screamed at her and said, I'm so sick and tired of living in the same house as you. When I get home from work tonight, I'm packing up and moving out. I'm not going to spend one more night under the same roof as you. And he'd slam the door and driven off to work. All morning, this man is just trembling and shaking because he realizes that when he goes home that night, what he thought would never happen to him is going to happen. His family, his marriage is going to come to an end. And he's going to have to face all morning, he's wondering, how will I tell my kids that I'm not going to be living at home with them anymore? And now at lunchtime, this Christian man is asking him, so how are things going with you? Before he knows what he's doing, he just sort of blurts out the whole story. And now this Christian is about to have a heart attack. He is so stressed out. He's thinking to himself, this is it. This is, this is what the preacher was talking about. But he's thinking, I'm not, a, I'm not a trained counselor. I'm not a pastor. I don't know how to do this kind of thing. He said, I, I didn't know what to do. So he said, well, listen, there's a man speaking at my church right now. And, uh, and he's talking about things right where you are. You, you need to come. And this Christian man thought uh, that, that that might not be enough. This guy would go home for after work and leave his family and then go with him to church. So he said, hey, how about if I take you out for dinner tonight? I, I have a feeling you're not in a hurry to get home tonight. Why don't I take you out for dinner and then I'll bring you to my church? And, and so they did. And that night at the service, the, the Christian actually brought this man up to me and, and uh, introduced him to me, but I didn't, even, I didn't know who the Christian man was at that time. There were about 1,200 people in the, in the auditorium, and, and I, there was just another person I met, and I was quickly whisked away. This Christian is thinking to himself, oh, he actually met the speaker, but, but, but I was hoping the speaker would somehow just change everything and fix him just like that. But, but now, well, I'll pray during the service. And so during the service, the Christian's praying for his colleague, and when they had an altar call at the end of the service, he's praying this man will, will, will come forward and, and, and receive Christ. But the man just stands there throughout the singing, and then the service was over. The Christian's driving this man back to the workplace where he had left his car in the parking lot. And uh, the Christian is just praying silently, God, when this man gets out of my car, he's going to drive home, and another family is going to come to an end. And, he, and the man said, I don't know what else to do. So finally, as they got, drove up beside this other the colleague's car, the Christian looked at him and said, listen, before you go, just tell me this. Did you hear anything tonight that you'd like to have in your life? Did you hear anything said tonight that you, you'd like to know more about or to, to, to experience yourself? And after a pause, this colleague said, everything I heard tonight, I need in my life.
And the Christian said, well, why didn't you, why didn't you go forward? Why didn't you walk down the aisle when the, the music was playing? He said, well, I didn't know that visitors could do that. I don't belong to this church. And, and so the, the Christian said, well, you know, of course you could. And finally he realized, well, it's going to be up to me. And so he said, well, listen, if you want, I could just pray with you right now here in the car and you could become a child of God and God could forgive you for everything that you've ever done, every unkind word you've ever said, every unkind thought, and, and you could be made new and have a whole new beginning. The man said, well, tell me what to pray. And there in that darkened parking lot, that Christian businessman led his colleague to the Lord. And then the man said, I've got to go. He said, my wife and kids need to meet the new dad, the new husband that I intend to be. And he left. Well, I, I met this Christian the next day, the, the businessman. I didn't know who he was until the next morning I started getting calls. We have got one excited church member. And when I talked to this man, he had eyes filled with tears. He said, I've worked in that place for 12 years. And I've realized today God has been at work the whole time. I just didn't see him. It wasn't that God wasn't there. It was that I didn't see what he was up to. And I wasted 12 years. I could have been on mission with him. If only my eyes had been open to see what he was doing. Let me just encourage you as you come to the end of this study. God is at work all around where you are. In your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. He is at work. And what we need to pray is, oh God, would you open my eyes to see what you're doing. And when I see, God, help me to have the courage to join you and to be a part of the great work that you're doing. The chorus experiencing God is, is not the end. Don't come to unit 12 and then say, well, I'm so sorry that it's all over. It's not over. It's just begun. Now you've seen how a believer can walk with God as God is going about redeeming people and claiming them for himself. And now as you end this study, go out into a life that is on purpose every day, watching to see where God is at work, and then joining him and seeing God do through your life what you would never have believed might have been possible. <laughs>